I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, host of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, which is sponsored by New Baptist Covenant. Since 2007, Baptists have responded to President Jimmy Carter's invitation to tear down barriers in communities previously marked by division, communities estranged in apathy. The movement called New Baptist Covenant invites us all to become bridge builders. If you or your congregation are ready to respond to the call for reconciliation and healing, if you are prepared to pave the way for racial justice, if you're ready to walk in the way of love, then join the journey with New Baptist Covenant. Together, let's build bridges toward beloved community. Start online at newbaptistcovenant.org and on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Now I hear the bells calling me to church. Welcome, all God's children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones, the skin and bones of Christian discipleship in the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. On today's podcast, I am joined by the Reverend Thomas Bowen, who is the Earl L. Harrison Minister of Social Justice at the historic Shiloh Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He also happens to be the director of the Mayor's Office of Religious Affairs and the Executive Office. He is a graduate of Morehouse College and studied for the ministry at the Divinity School at the University of Chicago. Today we aim to talk about the struggle for equality and justice for all, the role of power in human being and belonging, and why we fight like foes when we are all flesh and blood. Won't you pray for us? And do pray with me. God, who is not full of the divine self, because in the divine community there is a balance of power, who does not go on power trips or throw divine weight around, whose angels do not double as bodyguards, but who sits down with regular creatures, and who does not double down when questioned, whose power is not limited to the backs we scratch and did not come to make backroom deals, whose will is not won after an arm-wrestling match. Won't you power us down? Because sometimes we think that our arms are long enough to box with you and to box you in. Won't you guide us toward the truth of who you are and who we are in you as flesh and blood, next of kin, family and friends, not stranger, other, or alien? because we crossed our hearts and were supposed to die with Christ in that baptismal water. But somehow these old fights got up and figuring out how to keep everything by and for and to ourselves keeps us up at night. Because we want to step on your heels but keep stepping on each other because we get a little power because positions and titles go straight to our heads. Help us to submit our influence. Throw our privileges in and then put our hands in 
for your kingdom work, which is not a fist to fight or a fight to the finish, not a wrestle or a struggle, because you came as flesh and blood, because you made us all related. In the name of the Christ who is our flesh and blood, who calls us siblings and friends, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. When I was growing up in the South, there was a time in the worship service when persons stood up within the congregation and bore witness to what God was doing in their lives. They were said to be giving their testimony. They began first giving honor to God, who is the head of my life, to the pastor, visitors, saints, and friends. And today, I want to testify about flesh and blood, my own, about how it has always been a struggle for me to identify with my next of kin. My father was already out of the picture when I was abandoned at the worst possible time by my mother. Though I don't know if there is ever really a good time to leave your child. At 12 years old, I was left with relatives down south while she, my brother and sister, moved to Buffalo, New York. In her mind, it was for good reason. I had run away from home one morning, and though I had returned only hours later, I would stay with my Uncle John and later with my grandmother, Eva May, for four years. As punishment, I guess. I didn't see my mother or siblings again until I was 16 years old. I know you're wondering why I ran away. It is because I had woken up to my mother hitting me, and I just couldn't picture myself waking up to this ever again. She had found family pictures in my purse that I had stolen from my grandmother. She could have just talked to me about it. But that was the problem and the reason why I had taken the pictures to begin with. I had questions about my identity, about our family's history and heritage, and she didn't want to talk about it or anything else really. So I decided to ask the pictures. Some folks say they are worth a thousand words and I wanted as many as I could get because I was getting nothing out of her. My mother didn't even ask me why I took the pictures. That wasn't important or the point. I was going to stay with my relatives because she couldn't trust me in New York. There was no discussion about how long. It just ended up being a really long time apart that didn't end until I said something about it. Are you just going to leave me down here? Soon I would be headed north. Now, by all accounts, I have always been different. My family will tell you that I like to talk, and by this, they don't mean that I am loquacious. Instead, I like to talk about the obvious but avoided zoo in the family room, because there is often more than an elephant present. I like to ask questions that will produce meaningful answers, like, whose elephant is this? And how long are we going to ignore it? Because it's hard to move around here. As an adult, I'm also known for poking the bear, the eldest child and not allowed to make a single mistake. I had to follow the rules, do as I was told and follow a straight and really narrow path because I was always too old to behave like that. But as a woman, 
I don't. I ponder and I wander a lot. My natural desire to question has produced its fair share of conflicting emotions, awkward silence, and silent treatments, fighting words, and both personal and private wrestling matches that I welcome and proudly train for. But it is not a person that I'm even wrestling with. It's ideas, opinions, prejudices, and and things. It's stuff sometimes way over my head and above my pay grade, but that go to the depth of my human being. I need answers to the questions that gnaw at my soul, and I will get them. Even if it means breaking with traditional ways of relating and undermining familial power structures because children should be seen and heard. Even if it means another four-year timeout. Even if it requires I question my flesh and blood. Our scripture reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 12. It reads this way, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to introduce to some and present again to others my good friend and conversation partner, Thomas Bowen. For today's message, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth about power and its struggles. Feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we talk it through, though mere mortals, flesh and blood. Jesus came as divinity in pounds and ounces, power weighed and measured that only caused his mother to wobble while carrying him. Uh, He grew up to be a servant leader and died an unmarried, childless, homeless man with no material assets. Jesus handled power so differently than his followers. Uh, How then did Jesus' life and message become synonymous with power? its privileges and progeny. And in your estimation, how might Jesus' disciples define it? Uh, that is power. Easy question. Reverend Thomas, I, I, I like how you de- describe, I like your, your bio of Jesus because it, it causes us to go face to face with his, his social realities, not just his social realities, but his socioeconomic realities. But Jesus died um, almost as he lived in, in service. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, so the text says. So, because he, he did not come to be served, yes, but sir. to serve. Now, I, I think based upon that testimony alone, um, he couldn't get many followers today. If, if he's saying that that's part of, of the, the mission 
um, statement. Um, and he came to give us life as a ransom. You, you know, it, it reminds me of that line in, in, in the Hamilton. He, he got skin in the game. All right. Yeah. And, and so this whole notion of, of, of power doesn't even figure in into the lexicon and, and the language of, of, of Jesus. Jesus was all about service back in the good old days of Christianity. So how do we end up serving ourselves? Well, the church as enterprise, church in three locations, church that comes with uh supersized drink and fries how do we end up here we, we we can't we can't blame professor cornell west because he tried to warn us in, in his book um democracy uh matters that needed follow-up to race matters uh, which was the first time coincidentally that, that i even he ran into the historical roots of of of, of the church as we we know it in which professor west rightfully talks about constantine and, and, and how he tried to co-opt the church for his own purposes. You know, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, so he, you know, he, he, he walked down the aisle one Sunday and, and gave the preacher his hand and, and, and gave supposedly God his, his heart. And, and, and so that, that's when that, that, that merger or that, that hostile or not so hostile takeover of the church um, has its, its roots. And of course, it is it's only grown um, from that point. And Professor West, you know, he, he, he distinguishes between Christianity and the Christianity and, and the belief of Jesus and that Constantinian Christianity, uh, which, which, which has appeals to, to those who have a liking for the mega. Mm, you know, Howard Thurman makes that same distinction uh, uh, that is so very necessary. And I think it's time for us to make that distinction again, which leads me into this well-known quote uh, that's attributed to Dr. Richard C. Halverson. He's a former chaplain to the U.S. Senate, uh, he, and he says this, uh, In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Uh, then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Uh, why does the church continue to wrestle with its identity and align itself with the culture it finds itself in instead of with its Christ? Um, why does the culture hold such sway in many sacred spaces for Jesus' people? And, and, and Reverend Halverson was just so, so right and so on point and, and, and allowed me to, to have the, the, the benefit of his words and perhaps offer an addendum that 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 yes um he is is correct that it moved to america where it became an enterprise but then came the 20th century where it became a country club membership with the only only requirement being that you make periodic payments uh and then you're, you're able to, to, to put said membership on your website and in your political um, literature. And that is the extent of that which is required. Um, what has happened is become popular. It's become popular. And there's and here in the United States, it is without suffering and definitely without shame. And also without question, because we cherry pick the scripture. Who are you to judge? You know, we 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 come on a profession of our own faith. Um, you know, you don't know, you weren't there, you don't know when 
and you don't know where. So, so what? If I say two Corinthians, that doesn't mean that I don't have oh a good relationship um, with the, the, the Lord. And, and then we have uh -huh. a few folk who belong to that country club who can sign off on the fact that we are members in good standing and advance the cause of, of said country club. It's, it's popular to be, to be Christian in, in, in our day without much sacrifice or, or, or not having to give up anything. You don't even have to change. Um, don't have to have a transformation. You just have to show up at the rally and say, I am. How did we get to that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when God, when Jesus calls a man or a woman, Jesus bids that person to come and die. How do we get so far removed from the cross and his suffering? It's now glittered in, in gold. It's, it's, it's pimped out in, in rhinestones and diamonds. How did we get to this? How do we get away from this, this materialistic gospel? And now we have this patriotic gospel, my country tis of thee, uh, where <laughs> I don't understand why we keep wrapping the gospel up in something else as if it needs a covering or an introduction other than that of Christ's life and ministry. Uh, clearly, we have um, we have a, a great work ahead of us, um, but it's not new. Um, no. The challenge is, is great, but it's not new. It's what it's what Christians do. Right. You've always tried to get away from Jesus. Right. Jesus is suffering in the <laughs> on the cross, and we're hiding behind closed doors trying to save our own skin. You know, Jesus is crying out for people, and we he can't find not one of us. No, not who? What friend did Jesus have? No, not one. <laughs> you know, we we in our our sacraments and our, our communion, we talk about the blood. Yeah. But even those witnesses to the crucifixion and those believers were at a safe distance that the blood did not hit them. When it comes to that suffering and that bleed Jesus, we don't want that blood on us because, and we also, and we, we sure enough don't want to shed blood. Um, it, it's all uh, about um, the benefits, but as every uh, person who, who graduates um, from uh, uh, an academy or a school of, of higher uh, learning, when it comes that time to turn the tassel uh, to, to, to verify or acknowledge that you have graduated. And, and, and after that, you have someone representing the board uh, of trustees um, who comes uh, to induct you into the alumni association, but then reminds you that all you, though you have rights and, and, and privileges, you also have responsibilities. And I think that we're too, too low and we don't, and, and we, we relegate that to the small print when it, when it comes um, to our responsibility. Um, and and, and I, I think that this conversation is, is one that you cannot help but talk about culture. And seemingly in these culture wars, um, the culture is winning. Um, but you have to know, um, you know, what side are you, are you, you on? Um, but culture can sometimes, and, and, the, and the culture should not be better Christians than we are. I mean, you can see e e even in a, in a, in a, in a, in a superhero film, like, like Spider-Man, um, that, that, that young man has his uncle who, who tells him at the point that he realizes that he's different from others. And he's assumed this character called Spider-Man. Um, he has a, to tell them right quick, with great power comes great responsibility. And that's what we, we have to understand, that with great power comes resp great responsibility.
But we're so irresponsible. Right. right. Irresponsible when it, came, when it comes to taking care of those who are marginalized and oppressed. We look the other way. We don't even care about those bodies. Though we say we're connected and we're members of one body. And, and gu guilty. And, and part of that had to do with the, with the professionalization of certain things. And some of the yes. tasks of the church have been professionalized. Um, that we have mm -hmm. places that people can go for compassion right. and for financial uh, assistance. That's not our responsibility. Um, We've outsourced and, it. And, and the, the government has a role to play in that. That's not my responsibility. And, and, and the shame of it all is not only will we help that person that we encounter or see down on their luck on the street, we won't even stop to call 911. We will not even stop no. to call a, a, a shelter because that's someone else's responsibility. And we'll offer up a prayer. Yeah. For that, you know, what 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 does it say that we pray that someone else will come along and help uh, that 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 person? I'm just so glad that the Good Samaritan stopped. Uh, I was sure we he, he to didn't, say it. That didn't go back and call a church meeting or conference. Didn't hold a prayer circle um, right there, um, but but, but paused and, and and stopped uh, and went in, in, into his ATM and, and made sure um, that he helped that person that God had put in his way. That's right. Didn't have to call a business meeting. Didn't need to call for a vote. Mm -mm. No. Didn't, didn't need to go on a fast. Nope. Yep. Went immediately to help. It's, it's, it's our responsibility. This... It's, it's not it, even within uh, our church, our institutions. We say it's responsibility of a certain membership. It's responsibility yeah. of those who do the feeding one month uh, out of the one Sunday out of, out of the month. It's not my responsibility to, to help. We, we, we push it you know, into other quarter. I'm, I serve on another committee. That's that committee. Instead of being the entirety of people who dare call themselves Christian. Reduce the body of Christ to committees. Yes. So H. Richard Niebuhr writes in Christ and Christ and culture of, of Jesus's duality. Uh, that is the, the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. We're talking about that distinction. Um, and in that discussion, he makes these distinctions. He says, uh, there's one, there's Christ against culture. Uh, two, there's Christ, the Christ of culture. Uh, then third, there's the Christ above culture. And then finally, uh, the Christ that is transforming culture. Uh, where is Christ as it relates to culture now? Uh, and what are the implications for his disciples? Where do we see Christ in culture? Um, and how does the position of Christ influence or inform who or what we wrestle against? Because there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of both sides. Um, and many people are equating their side with the Lord's side. Uh, so how do we get... How do we discern our way, uh, find our way? Uh, because Christ is in the midst. He's, you know, God in the flesh, word made flesh walking among us. How do we know where Jesus is? You know, we, 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 we wrestle with this notion of our country, as great as it is in promise, being a, a Christian, uh, a nation. Uh, now, mm -hmm. if, 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 and I, I don't necessarily buy into this, if our country is a Christian nation, yeah, then Christ has to be countercultural. Yeah, that if that's the norm, then the way I, I read and my experience with Jesus and, 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 and God leads me to say that that the Christ is countercultural because Christ is wrestling what is and and what we 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 see right right now that is and, and you know so popular 
and in terms of the of the culture and wars on um, where we are, um, Jesus is 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 counter to the the culture the, the culture that says we are a religious nation because Jesus is is saying um that 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 Black Lives Matter. Well, Jesus uh, is, is is saying that we ought to protect our children and 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 not owners of guns. Jesus is saying um, that that we should not have a discussion over who should get the COVID vaccination first. We don't even have to do a resource. Let's let's start with with the most vulnerable members um, of our um, um, community. And I and I heard a disturbing thing today at, at, at people. Um, being upset um, that we dare think about, in addition to those who are confined to nursing homes, that those who are behind prison bars, who represent mm. a huge population that are impacted, we will give vaccination to those who work there, but not those who are there and some for things they have not done. And and and, and, and right. so I, I believe that we 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 have to push against what we have. So I think that's what I think that Jesus would be somewhere turning over the tables. I was getting ready to say it. It said one in five uh, persons who are incarcerated have been infected with the coronavirus, and more than seventeen hundred have died. But who is this Jesus? This well dressed, uh, manicured uh, Jesus who says all the right things, who doesn't break a sweat. Uh, who causes no commotion, who doesn't, who doesn't cause people to be uncomfortable, who whips nobody out of the temple. Who is this Jesus that we've concocted, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfer Jesus, this bodybuilding Jesus, this sweatless Jesus? Who is this Jesus that comes in our culture yes. and that says exactly what we want him to yes. say? I don't recognize him. Yeah who's not with the marginalized and with the poor. Who is this Jesus that shows up at business meetings and says, yes and amen, let's go, let's go bigger. Go bigger or, or send them all home. Who, who asks how many, how many you run in docs? Yes. How many butts did you have in the seats? Who is this Jesus that cares more yes. about the money we bring in? You're preaching now. The offering that we, who is he? I, that has nothing to say about a George Floyd who calls out for his mother just like he did. Yes. I don't understand the silence of it. I don't recognize mm -hmm, him. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I, I just don't understand it. And I want no part of that kind of Jesus. I don't know who we re recreated Jesus in the image of, but I don't see God in it. How is it that Jesus' words are written in red, but none of them jump off the page for right. us? I just don't understand that. None of it smacks us in the face and says, I got to get myself together. Where's the transformation? Where's the regeneration? Where's the newness that, that God is calling for that we cannot see? Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? Why do we repeat after the culture? It's, we just, just go along to get along. I don't understand that. This go along to get along gospel. I don't get it. And it's incredibly frustrating to be, watch people hold you to a standard as a child and then you become an adult and realize they're playing the same game. Yes. And we've gone nowhere. We're no closer to Jesus. Jesus is way up ahead. And just like his parents, we don't even realize that he's not even present. Jesus has been missing for years. And we look up and say, has anybody seen Jesus? I thought you saw him. No, I thought you saw him. No, when was the last time you saw him? I don't really know. And we got to go all the way back. And with every generation, we got to go all the way back and try to find this Jesus. We're always playing catch up. I don't understand And that. then we will pause and blame Jesus and not ourselves. Ha! 
Ah, because you didn't give me directions. Right. So we, we you we, told me it was a left and not a right. Because when we when we want to be bothered with Jesus, then we discover that 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 Jesus is is some other other place. And, yeah. And, and you know, once you read the entirety of the of the record, but as as you said, if, if if nothing else, please read the the red highlighted portions. They do the work for you, Doc. But they do the work but for who you. Who is this Jesus? And I like what Anne Lamont says, and that is, we, we mm. know that we have created a God in our image. When that God yes, only loves the people we love and hates the yeah. people we hate, and I can yeah. pretend that if Jesus and God's love is greater than our love, then where our love ends, God's love continues. Well, so the very folks that we preach. don't love, God loves. Uh huh or else God's not God and God's love is not That's greater right. than our love. That's right. That's right. So well said. So well said. I, uh, people of the way. We're supposed to be people of the way. And yet we can't get on track. There's no traction. And we're losing a generation of We're people. getting in the way. Ah, so well said. Generation that doesn't even want to follow us. If we're going that way, they're going in the opposite direction because they know we're a bunch of hypocrites. You should hear Jill Scott singing. So the younger generation are the prophets. Hear, hear Jill Scott singing to them, you're getting in the way of what I'm feeling. <laughs> Come on in <laughs> we're, here. We're getting in the way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. So well said. So so well said. And we know it's not a new, a new conundrum. There's a call for prophets and priests. But you know prophets get put out the church. And I've learned that if, you, if you follow Jesus... I'm just saying, well, yeah, the rest of my own payroll, my <laughs> right. Lord. No, if you follow Jesus, you're going to get put out yes. the church. If you follow Jesus, you're going to get run out of town. If you follow Jesus, there will be death threats. I mean, if you're going the way he's right. going, because he ain't got nothing nice to say for nobody. He has no cut cards. You're going to call it like he sees it. You can be mad if you want to. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, you can say amen, but say ouch. So, someone said that if, if you go to church Sunday after Sunday or, or Zoom in Sunday after, after Sunday, and there's, there's nothing that, that, that ever disturbs you or convicts you yeah. or yeah. challenges you, then you yeah. ought to change churches. Well, there ought to be some church hopping going mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. until you get uncomfortable. You come into a space and say, this is where I want to be because I like the way the pastor preaches. No, I don't like the way I Which preach. is what we do because we, we have this, this, uh, uh, That's my past. A, an American Idol approach, and it's always yeah. those shows. We, we we need to be careful of those shows in our country. We watch where there's people who sit in judgment of other people and can determine mm -hmm. who has talent or who gets fired, doesn't get fired. Mm -hmm. Those folks mm -hmm. always shop and want to hang around the folk that more or less agree um, with them, and, and and that and that's in our church shopping. That's what happens. We go someplace, and I understand if there's a there's a, a a, a theological difference that that but we but we we fall out not over uh, disagreements over scripture we fall out over over things uh who's leading what committee um we we did person call uh my name um but well but i think that our experience as believers ought to be that we are challenged um by what we we've heard it's, it's me it's me it's me oh lord standing in the need of prayer standing in the need of prayer I'm your host and podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. We'll be right back with more of the Raceless Gospel from Good Faith Media. This is Mitch Randall. 
And I'm Autumn Lockett. And we co-host Good Faith Weekly. Each week, we provide conversations and interviews at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. Subscribe to Good Faith Weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for making space for that church announcement. Now back to the rest of my back and forth with Thomas Bowen. We've been talking about this for a long time and persons have been discussing this for a long time. And it seems like we got a mighty long way to go, uh, which is why I, I dig deep into the words of folks like Stanley Harawas and uh, William H. Willimon. They write in 1989 in a book titled, in part, uh, Resident Aliens. They say, a few may still believe that by electing a few Christian they put that in quotes, a few Christian senators passing a few new laws and tinkering with the federal budget that we can form a Christian, they put that in quotes, culture, or at least one that is a bit more just. But most people know this view to be touchingly anachronistic. Uh, what are your thoughts on their conclusion? Uh, what do you believe Christianity's relationship with power is or has been? Um, and how can it or should it be employed in the work of kingdom building? What is the role of power in the work of kingdom building? Is there a connection? I hope your listeners can, can catch that, that you said kingdom and not kingdom. Uh, you know, you, you make up all of us in the Christian faith and even beyond as siblings uh, in, 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 in faith. You know, that there was a judge who ran for another office on Alabama and he, hanged the, he hung the Ten Commandments on the wall. Uh, something that, you, you know, should not have done based upon this piece of paper called the Constitution. Um, but, but someone, uh, as a, a writer, it might have been Kurt Vonnegut, who said that, you know, perhaps he should have put place the Beatitudes on the wall and not the, the Ten uh, uh, Commandments. Um, Professor Harawas and, and Reverend Willimon are just so uh, cor correct. Um, and raising a question that you do in resident aliens, because resident aliens have even this title deals with how uncomfortable one can be where one um, resides. And when it comes to our, our government, rapid is arms uh, around uh, re religion, dating back, as uh, Professor Cornell West said, that the Constantine, we, either there's something that we have to understand, you know, we, and sometimes you gotta put your money where your mouth is. My mentor, Mary Edelman, when I was working at the Children's Defense Fund, um, taught me so many things. And, and one of the things I learned at her feet um, had to do with the budget. And she told me that the budget is a moral document. When you, when you look at the budget, you'll see what it is that we believe as a, a, a country. Um, and, and, and so when it comes to the government, it, it, it's not you know how easy it is for for, for, for folk to say that they are Christian and they have a belief system, then we believe that the policies enacted um, have to uh, align um, with certain and particular uh, values. And, and that's what we can't uh, allow our minds and our eyes to lose focus um, on. Um, there's a scene, you can see I go to a lot of movies, uh, an American gangster um, where, where Denzel Washington uh, character uh, has someone um, who was doing business with them. You know, he's playing this guy Frank, um, selling and dealing drugs. And, and one person who's a part of the franchise uh, that decided to uh, to scale down of uh, the drug. And Frank took uh, issue with that because he messed with his brand. 
and he and he said, "You can do what you want, just don't call it, you know, his brand. Call it anything you want." And and, and so I, I'm I'm to the point now uh, of folk who who say they're Christian, call yourself something else, because you're definitely not Christian. I, I like how Gardner Calvin Taylor um put it in talking about the religious right, who he said who may be neither neither religious or right. Um, there are certain yeah. folks that we have they've hijacked the term. And as a result, is doing harm, I believe, to the church universal. The reason why there are not more people in the church is because of the people who are in the church. This election cycle didn't do the church any good. And, and so we have to, to continue to take the task, those who will utilize the term Christian for their own personal benefit and gain. And like we had said before this, there is much to be gained by calling yourself Christian um, in the United States. The benefits outweigh uh, any of, of the negative aspects, which they are, are, are none. And in fact, your stock increases, increases the more you say that you believe and, and then point to those who don't believe the same things you believe. Which leads me to my next question. Thank you for the setup. Uh, the church in North America is known for what it is against, for what Jesus' believers fight over. But the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, if this is true, then what are we wrestling for and against? Uh, flesh and blood siblings through Christ. Why are Christians often fighting with each other? Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the political candidates last uh, cycle said that we're fighting for the soul of our, our nation. I think that we're without definitions and in, and, and in looking for definitions, there's a fight that's taking place. Um, what does it mean to be American? You know, what does it mean to be uh, a, a resident? So, so people um, will put together their list and what it means to be a citizen, in which case we have to look at a broader concept of what it means to be a resident. But I think that the, we're, we're, we're dealing with the fact that people are trying to merely define what it means to be an American. And you can look at some of our immigration laws around that and the battles. And at the same time, we're also arguing over what it means to be Christian, to respect the right of a woman to choose what happens to her body. That would make you unchristian. And the thing that is troubling is that if we search for a definition of what it means to be American and Christian, some mean, think they're both one and the same. Yeah. Which takes us back to our well, whole Christian conversation about culture and the need that Jesus will be counter-cultural. They, they say to be right. Christian, to be American yeah. is to be Christian, and to be Christian is yeah. to be American, and that, yeah. and that lie cannot be allowed to go unchecked and to live. And that's that mythical, that the work of uh, colonialism is still with us and assimilation. That's that, uh, yes. Uh, George Bernard Shaw writes, uh, he says, a Native American elder once described his own inner struggles in this manner. Inside of me, there are two dogs. One of the, one of the dogs is mean and evil. Uh, the other dog is good. The mean dog fights the good dog all the time. When asked which dog wins, he reflected for a moment and replied, the one I feed the most. Yet Christianity is often reduced, to your point, to do's and don'ts, to right and wrong, to good and bad people, as if both are not present in us, as if it is not a wrestle. Why do we describe people and people groups as entirely good 
or or evil? Why this? There's no nuance. You're in and you're out. We we there there was a, a quote that some people had attributed to, to Maya Angelou, but you, you know sometimes there's these things that people who are famous say they attribute to them. Although she never claimed to to say they originated with her, she has too much too many great thoughts of her own. They even have to try That's to right. make uh, a, a claim and, and like that. Say that, and, sir. And she's also not a Baptist preacher, but but someone said that when I say I'm a Christian, I'm not saying I'm perfect. And for That's so right. many people, too many people, they're, they're, they're claiming a Christian and also claiming to be perfect. Stephen Carter, who's uh, actually uh, a constitutional law professor at Yale, um, who has made some, wrote, written some popular fiction books, but there are two books that he, he wrote in the 90s, uh, Civility and Integrity. Um, and, and in uh, the book Integrity, which is a bold claim, you're gonna write a book about integrity, um, but in those opening pages, he says, now look, I am not the person, I'm not exemplar of what it means to be a person who lives with integrity, I'm a student of integrity. And to be a student of, of something, you're always trying to become. You make your mistakes, but then you turn that pencil around, you erase it, and you start all over uh, again. And, and, and so when it, when it comes to our being, being Christian, you know, I think we have to let go of this notion and the false narrative um, that we are, we are, we are perfect uh, in, in that. Uh, in, indeed, Dr. Calvin Butts, Pastor Avicenia about this church up in Harlem, says, I'm, I'm saved in spots. You got to pray a lot uh, uh, for, for me. And, and so I, I think Not that we, saved we have in to spots. all go, um, although we're, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a beneficiary of Martin Luther's uh, Protestant uh, uh, Refor Reformation, and there comes a time that I need to go into the confession and confess um that 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 i am not all that that perhaps people uh may think me to be but that's not um in, in important and, and, and you know it, it's okay you can cleanse you when you um, confess but then there's that 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 saving um aspect that i'm not what what i want to be uh not yes. what i ought to be but thank yeah. god i'm not what i used to not be and, 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 to and be. also that there are other there are two more dogs um, uh, ran ah. a, to someone who, who, an older gentleman who, who sat in a class being in, in, in Scotland being taught by William Barclay. Uh, and he, he, he told me the story uh, when William Barclay um, was, 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 was teaching uh, a lesson about the 23rd Psalm. And he told the, the folk in the class, he says, you see that shepherd there with his two dogs and, and people were the students were perplexed. They like, Professor Barclay, we don't, there's no dogs, dogs here. And he, and he says in his thick Scottish accent, yes, they are, look very closely. There are those two dogs with that shepherd. He said, I, and, then, and they asked him to show it to me. He said, there they are. He, he says, he says, he said, and, 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 and goodness and mercy shall follow me yeah. all the days of my life. Oh, my and so when we make that confession, we, we, you know, of, 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 of what we are not, that we're not all perfect, that we, we all have some spaces and some spots um, with us. But in spite of that, um, it does not yet appear what we shall be. 
in spite of that, while we were yet sinners, yeah, and Jesus died for us. In spite of Come all on and preach. goodness and mercy, and mercy. will still know our sin and follow us all the days of our lives. It just goes so much against the American narrative of the self-made person of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's such a conflictual and competing narrative. I don't know how, what type of mental gymnastics we do to make them fit, but they're so different from each other. But so we've talked a lot about, about power, um, and I don't want our listeners to think that you know power is all bad. We, we may misuse power. We do misuse power, but there's certainly a place for it. Um, we're not created as victims or to be oppressed or dominated. Um, we were created to have power, to have agency. Uh, Alice Walker says, in fact, that the most common way that people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. So, so where's the balance for Christians? Uh, let me go back uh, first because a good friend of mine, as you were ending and wrapping up the previous comments, a friend of mine, Eddie Glog, in his book, uh, Began Again, um, and he has a conversation with James um, Baldwin, and he, and he talks about that narrative. He talks about the lie we, that America tells itself. Yes. And, and we have to be getting the truth telling business. Then I'm back in this room where we're, we're sitting with Sister Alice um, um, Walker and her conversation uh, about power. Uh, a sister friend of, of mine, um, Reverend Andrea Alexander, with the National Council of, of Churches, I, I heard her at a, at a, at a protest. As she was behind the pulpit at a protest rally some years ago. And she got up and she said something that won't ever leave me. I owe her tuition for teaching uh, me this. And she said, we are not speaking truth to power. We are the power speaking truth. And so, Sister Alice Walker is correct when we don't realize the power that we, we have. And I put her hand in the hand with Reverend Alexander. We are not speaking truth to power. We are the power speaking truth. And we have to come and understand. You don't know how powerful we are? Look how much dollars that lobbyists put trying to counteract the vote in our thoughts and our opinion. They pour all that money to try uh, to, to overcome or to, to hide or go beyond um, what is in our uh, interest. We do have uh, the, the power and we are the power. You want to know what power looks like? You go to the, to the website for Stacey Abrams. And you, you'll see what, what power looks looks like. It looks like uh, a black woman uh, in her 40s with an undergraduate degree from Spelman and a law degree from, from Yale, who people thought had lost a race for governor, but she won a race as one of the chief advocates for voting integrity in our nation. She is our attorney general uh, for those who do believe in fair and free uh, elections. We are the, the, the power. And we are the power, and when we have that power, we must use our powers for good because with great power comes great responsibility. And our, and our dilemma is that we have people who have power who have been behaving irresponsibly um, with that which they have, which does not belong to them, but belongs to us. You ever feel like the church is fighting about the wrong thing? Oh my gosh, yes. Was what Dr. Barber says. We make major. We, we we say so much of what Jesus says so little about, and so little oh. of what Jesus said so much about orphans and widows. 
the most vulnerable members of, of our, our community, the poor, that, that Jesus always points his, his finger in, in that direction and, and, and puts the arms around. That Jesus was so concerned about hunger that he, he stopped church service and said, we, need to, yes, feed, we need to feed these people. We don't have, we didn't budget for that, Jesus. We need to feed these people. That's what he said. <laughs> we don't pay you a salary, Jesus. We need to feed these people. Uh-huh. Because it's not, and I heard actually Jesse Jackson Jr. said this years ago, it's not that we, we lack um, the power or the ability, we lack the will. Yeah. We don't want to do it. We wrestle. Well, we don't. That's it. We don't want to do it. <laughs> people people so so prone to say, want it, will it, will it, want it, want it, will it. Oh, won't you do but, it? But when it comes to these things, we don't want to do it. Uh, hooping with no substance. There it is. Bibbidi, I'm going to hold my ear <laughs> and say the same thing Sunday after Sunday. But as long as you're entertained, you'll keep tapping that plate. Ain't he all right? No, we ain't all right. 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 Ain't nobody all yes. right. George Floyd. Uh, cried out for his mother. George Floyd died before our eyes eight minutes and 46 seconds. I'm not getting ready to put a praise on that. Something more needs to be said and done. And going into a building where you hoop and you holler and you shout and you sweat and you high five your neighbor and you come back out and you step over his body is problematic. You can jump. You cross over to the other side of the street. It's a, it's a problem. You, you can jump. What happens when you come down? You can, you can well, pray all night, but what time? When, when do you get up, and what do you do when you get up? I, I, I like it, it's it's W. Franklin Richardson because this speaks uh -huh. to the church and, and what we do at a revival at, at Shiloh some years ago. He he says something that disturbs me. I hear a lot of folks say things that disturb me, and that's, and that's a good thing. He, he he and and he said what what happens if the supermarket down the street closes down? What happens if the hospital across town closes down? He said, what happens if your church closed down? Well, will people miss it? How long would it take for them to realize that that church has closed down? Because if the hospital closed down, people will protest the, 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 the lack of health care. If a grocery store closed down, they're talking about food deserts. But what happens if your church, would, would anybody miss it? And the folk wouldn't miss it then we know that we ought to be about our father's business and, and not yeah. about churchianity and our own personal business. Yeah. Yeah. Still fighting each other. You know, because my daddy built this church and I was here when you got here and I'll be here when you leave. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Apostle Paul writes uh, to the church of Corinth. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For the Christian, the cross, Jesus' is suffering, and our own is power and powerful. Not these power plays we're making in business meetings, right? Uh, so I have one final question. Uh, N.T. Wright asks uh, in his book, God in Public, How the Bible Speaks Truth to Power Today. Uh, he says, uh, or he asks rather, where does the foolish power of today's world stand in shame before the revelation of God's powerful foolishness in the gospel? Um, I'm thinking, I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm wishing uh, that perhaps the answer will stop us from wrestling with flesh and blood. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you littered our conversation with There's a whole lot of foolishness. Yes, we, sir. We, we have um, what, what the late Louis Anthony, God rest his soul, once said. We, we have occupied pulpits 
with empty theology. Ah. And, 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 and so we're experiencing a, a lot of foolishness these days and, and a lot of, 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 of our siblings and in, in, in ministry thinking themselves to be the end, not, not the majority, not all, but too many. And oftentimes those are the ones who, 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 who get the spotlight, uh, although we should not be seeking spotlight, who, who get the, the, the mic trying to advance um, their, their own good. And, and, and when, and we know we have a problem when our, our parishioners quote their pastor more so than scripture. Sir! That pastor said this, and, and, and pastor said that. Say that. Um, that we, we ought to be, be, be talking about what Jesus would have us to do and, and, and what God would, would have us to, to do. And, and, and so that, that there's foolishness. And when, in fact, one of the, 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 the time-honored sermons in the, in, in, in the, in the treasure trove is, is the foolishness of preaching. Is, is, is one of the, the, the lectures that Gardner Taylor gave at Yale for the Beecher Lyman uh, 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 series. But there's a question in there. And then the question in the midst of that, you know, talks about these two entities, you know, those who are saved and those who are perishing. And, 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 and how it can become for, for one, the, the power of salvation, the power of God, to salvation. Um, but there are people perishing. Um, without without hope, there are, there are people perishing and can't see their their, their way through. That even with with the vaccine in our midst, um, people can't see themselves um, at the end of how this 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 terrible story, which the editors have called 2020, um, and 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 so our our preaching cannot be foolishness for foolishness' sake. Our preaching has to be one that which is aimed is to save us to fight yet another day that puts hope into our hearts, into our minds and our souls. That a person without hope is a danger in and of themselves. And the only thing I have to offer folk is, is hope. There's a bright side somewhere. It may seem foolishness in the dark or people who don't have a light switch or no lights on, there's a bright side somewhere. And well, don't you stop until you find it. Sweet Honey in the Rocks says, those of us who love freedom cannot yeah. rest until yes, it sir. comes. Our ancestors believed and prayed for freedom and couldn't spell freedom and didn't know anyone who was free but they continued mm. on because of a hope that over my head, I hear music. Up above my head. Come on now. There must be a God some, somewhere. somewhere. Yes, sir. So that, yes, that, sir. That's, that's the gospel that, 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 that I talk about. Not, not the one that will allow me then to get the Peloton I want and the Burberry coat uh, that I, I think I deserve, but it's more than those material things which will only drag me to my knees um, as I think that I prayed for Mercedes and now Mercedes payments are killing me. It's just that the fact that our gospel has to have more meaning and we have to strip itself uh, of, of, of some of, of the capitalist notions of the gospel 
and 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 some of the of the of the, of, of the power that people think they can achieve by believing it's about saving people and saving them where they are anything else to me is foolishness and, and i'm not gonna put anything in the plate when it goes by sir thank you brother preacher oh you started it that was good sir that was good you, sir you, you, you're a christian arsonist oh my gosh <laughs> that was good sir that was really really good thank you Thank you, Reverend Thomas Bowen. Thank you, Reverend Starlet Thomas. I want to thank our guest, Thomas Bowen, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus, who didn't come to fight with us, whose hands are outstretched and not balled up. Invite him to journey with you, not as some otherworldly cosmic figure, but your flesh and blood. You can support the work and witness of the Raceless Gospel Podcast by giving to Good Faith Media. Please visit our website at www.goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep talking. Head to our fellowship hour over at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. We've got a fifth and final Sunday, y'all. You've been such faithful members. Episode 5 brings us Leslie Copeland Toon, sage, preacher, and denominational leader. She'll make you think and then repent. If you stayed for the amen, then you are special, committed. You've got what it takes to build bridges. So hear this. Since 2007, Baptists have responded to President Jimmy Carter's invitation to tear down barriers in communities previously marked by division. Communities estranged in apathy. The movement called New Baptist Covenant invites us all to become bridge builders. If you or your congregation are ready to respond to the call for reconciliation and healing, if you are prepared to pave the way for racial justice, if you're ready to walk in the way of love, then join the journey with New Baptist Covenant. Together, let's build bridges toward beloved community. Start online at newbaptistcovenant.org and on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.